And now, Monumental Sports and Entertainment along with Pressbox presents Stan the Fans Bat Around. For the next two hours, listen in as Stan and Craig Heist bat around all manner of topics pertaining to the great game of baseball with their great group of guest contributors. Feel free to tweet your questions to Stan at StanTheFan. Now sit back and enjoy the bat around. Guys, take it away. And welcome aboard on this Saturday, August the 5th. Stan the fans bat around with my good friend Craig Heist, Bonzatufa here, making sure things go smoothly on the airways. And uh, we've got a whole host of uh, guests today uh, from all manner of baseball topics. We're going to start off in about 15 minutes, Craig Heist, with Steve Garland, owner of Big Bats. He's stuck in Bay Bid- Bay Bridge traffic, but he's going to give us the Bay Bridge report, which doesn't sound like it's going to be very good, uh, and also give us a sort of a, a recap of the tornado that hit Stevensville about 10 days ago. I was over there about a week and a half ago on a Monday, and uh, got to tell you, there was a lot of damage yeah, right that- around Stevensville when you crossed the Bay Bridge, and I, I accidentally went over to Big Bats on my way uh, to St. Michael's, do some bike riding, and uh, enjoy the Eastern Shore a little bit. And uh, Big Bats was closed that day because all of the all their power all was of out. the power was out, and all of the area around it had no power. Traffic lights were being directed by police, and it was just not a good scene. Downed uh, tree limbs all over the place. So yeah, they got hit pretty good. Yeah, we'll we'll talk to Steve and see how they're rebounding from that. Sounded like other than the uh, loss of the electricity, which uh, to me, whenever I hear a restaurant loses their power, I'm thinking of food that's, you know, going bad. So right. it could be an expensive proposition. We'll talk to Steve about that, how they're rebounding and what he thinks of the O's uh, deadline moves. Uh, Rich Dubroff will uh, talk to Press Box Online's uh, Baltimore Orioles beat writer. We'll talk to him about what went on there at the last minutes before the trade deadline on Monday and how nimbly uh, Vice President of Baseball Operations Dan Duquette pivoted from rebuild mode to um, to sort of going for it mode with a couple interesting trades, the acquisition of Jeremy Hellickson and the acquisition of um, shortstop infielder Tim Beckham. We'll also talk to the woman who did the PA uh, for the Orioles and the Kansas City Royals series, and I wish they'd bring her back because she was 3-0. and uh, Ryan Wagner's 0-2 since he's been back. Yeah, you know, and I'm sure. Adrian Roberson. Yes, and I'm sure Ryan would be happy to hear that, <laughs> yeah. you know, so anyway. Yeah, he's been the problem. He's been the he's problem. Been the yes. problem. Hasn't been the starting pitching or no, anything like it's that. It's a Ryan Wagner issue. Yeah, the Ryan Wagner issue. All but right. Anyway. Then we're going to go back a blast out of the past. Marty Conway, good friend of mine, and I know you know Marty a little bit. Marty used to be the marketing director of the Baltimore Orioles in the late '80s, early '90s. He got hired by then owner of the Texas Rangers, George Bush, to leave the Orioles just as they were. Uh, entering Camden Yards in 1992, and that put him in uh, the Texas Rangers front office as marketing director of the Rangers in 1994, Craig, and yesterday was the 24th anniversary of one of the more famous modern-day baseball fights, Nolan Ryan 
came inside and hit Robin Ventura, probably with a 96-mile-an-hour fastball on the elbow. And um, Ventura looks at first like he's not ticked off or anything. He he drops the bat and starts to run to first, and then he just veers to the pitcher's mound, throws his batting helmet off, and got his ass kicked. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. That's a good description of it right there. And uh, Nolan got him in a headlock and decided to – do some facial work. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but you know what's funny? I watched the – he sent me – Marty sent me the video yesterday, which prompted me to say, hey, why don't you come on and talk about it? With the Some of the names that were in that, in that scrum, uh, John Russell was then a backup catcher with the Texas Rangers. He's now Buck Showalter's bench coach. Uh, John Russell was there. Rafael Palmero was there. Uh, Walt Reniak was there, the late uh, – you know, Boston Red Sox, Chicago White Sox hitting coach Bo Jackson was wearing yeah. a Chicago White Sox uniform. So there were just Jack McDowell. You see him in the middle of this uh, pretty wild scrum there at uh, Arlington Stadium. Back yeah, in those days. and and you know the, the the fact of the matter is, you know, Robin has often said, you know, well, looking back on it, I probably should have thought twice about it. <laughs> So I think if not for the, the the weight of all the players that fell on Ryan, oh, and Pudge Rodriguez was there too. If if not for the sheer weight of everybody that went in to help somebody and they all fall to the ground, I don't know if if uh, Robin Ventura is loose of his grip to this day. Well, that's good good question. Uh, you know, I got to be honest with you when I when I saw that. And, you know, you, you see the video every year because of the anniversary sure. of it. And I've been in the clubhouse when the White Sox were in town here, and people have asked Robin about it. And he doesn't, he doesn't not talk about it, but he's a little shy about right. talking about right. it. Is it shy or <clears throat> embarrassed? Probably embarrassed yeah. is a better word. Yeah. yeah. Uh, anyway, that was 24 years ago, long, long time ago. Marty will help relive what it was like to be in the ballpark there in Arlington, Texas at the time. Uh, then we'll close things out today with Bill Latson from MLB.com. Uh, his, uh, his, what do you call it, his blog, uh, Newsmakers, on their website, MLB.com, always uh, topical. And uh, I know he was up in Cooperstown and had quite a trip up there. Yeah, and uh, did some stuff with Tim Raines and Pudge and, you know, Gave me a diatribe of how great Bud Selig was. So yeah. now, is he is he good friends, Bill, with Claire Smith? Uh, yeah, they're they're acquaintances. Yeah, yeah I absolutely. mean that was a to me that was as good a story as there was in Cooperstown. The first woman is she the first woman to make it into the Hall of I Fame? I believe she is. Yeah, yes. African American writer who wrote for years out in San Diego. And then went to the New York Times from there. Philadelphia. Philadelphia. Yeah. That's right. I forgot Inquire, Philadelphia. Yeah. And uh, she's, she won the um, Spinks Award this right. year as the uh, broadcaster slash media person uh, to make it into the Hall of Fame. And it, it's really a great well, story. And the great thing about, excuse me, the great thing about Claire is you have, you know, such respect from her peers and, and the players that she covered and the players. That she, and the managers. And the managers. Yeah. The players and managers that she covered will tell you straight out there was no BS. There was always a person there when you're talking to her that you could trust. And I, and I think that's the biggest thing, when a reporter earns the trust of the player. Uh, and, and, again, I, I 
will will say that social media has pretty much killed all of that at mm-hmm. this point and has over the few, last few years in our business. And it's really a sad thing because you used to be able to build personal relationships with players on a professional level. Right. And and that to me is long gone with the advent of the social media, the Twitter, the Facebook, things of that nature. Yeah, you used to really be able after a game to go in and just sort of sit around and talk to people. It's uh, in and out. You're shepherded in and out. And, and, and ironically enough, the rule hasn't changed. It's still the clubhouse is supposed to be open an hour after it opens. Right. You mean after an, the for game? For an hour. Yes. Right. After right. it opens, and that's just not the case anymore and you know you're huddled in you you talk to players that are involved in the game that day and that's it and, and you don't get a good it. conversation no. with no. somebody you know in the old days I used to go, I never spent a lot of time in there because despite the fact I was uh, hated back in the uh, 90s or dislike, no. disliked in the 80s and 90s um can you no. hang on a second Bonza, can you really imagine someone hating Stan no, that's impossible. Hating's, hating's too strong a word. Dis- I was, I was dislike. despised. Despised. <laughs> that's a better word. <laughs> but anyway, no, the timing of my show, I very rarely, once I started doing Stan the Fan on a regular basis in 1985, I was never there after games because I was always uh, on the radio. But uh, in the old days... I developed a relationship with Ray Miller. Yeah. You know, some of the coaches, you'd sit around, and it would be, seem like an hour and a half after the game, well, they'd be sitting there drinking a little beer and unwinding. And a perfect example of this is a couple of nights ago, uh, ex-Oriole pitcher John Parrish was in the press box, and he was back to do an autograph session. Right. And – you know, you, you go over and immediately he recognizes you. He comes up with a big handshake, the hug, the whole thing. You right. ha- you're able to catch up on what he's doing. He asks you what you're doing. Uh, but but that's there's a picture from early 2000s, right around in there, late right. 90s, early 2000s, where you know, you know you, you built that kind of relationship up just by you know. And, and I mean, it would be one like of fir- one of the funniest things I just said to him. When I saw him, and we were kind of reminiscing a little bit, he says, and I remember his first start as an Oriole was right. against the Yankees, and he throws five or six really, really strong innings. I think it might have been shutout innings. And so he wins the game, and we're all right away ready to talk to him. And Mike Messina goes up to him and says, John, come on, come on over here and eat. You know, they can, they can <laughs> wait on you. Come on over here and eat. And so, so Moose made him made us wait, wait like while ten John, minutes, right? right while know. John ate, exactly. It would be kind of like the days when Pat Rapp would talk to you about his marital a lot, issues. A lot of things like that. Yeah, <laughs> I don't get it though. Like for me, I would love the opportunity not just to talk with the players, but to build relationships. That's what I did this past summer with the Collegiate Baseball League. How come? I don't get why that doesn't happen anymore. You said because of social media. How does social media affect these well, less what happened, relationships? What happened with social media is a lot had to do with once it became uh, a thing, players got on social media, and they were on Facebook, and they would write some things, and then things would get out, and they weren't very careful about how they were using social media. So almost any little thing that happened became news. Okay, so then the PR people 
and the clubs all got together and said, look, we've got to stop this. We've got to really – Right, we've got to rein it in. Rein yeah. it in. We're going to rein in the players from using this stuff and this and that and everything else. And while they want you to promote players by you, – you know, you'll see Twitter saying, uh, you know, simply AJ10 is hit a home run, that kind of thing. You know, while they want you to do that, they, they are really guarding – the players from going on there and doing things or saying things that might come back to bite them in the rear end. Yeah, I think it actually dated pro- – it, it preceded social media. I think it had a lot to do with players' contracts getting bigger and uh, the attention getting bigger about their their personal stuff yeah. rather than – you know, so it, it carried over into social media and expedited the thing. But now you walk in a locker room, as Craig said – it's everybody's either hiding out, eating in the back, or showering in the back for a very long time. Manny Machado and Jonathan Scope are playing chess, and you'll get Caleb Joseph, if he got a big hit, or a, or in the case of last night, got that thing where he got hit, but it was a strikeout. You'll get the uh, Michael Givens, who gave up the game-winning home run to Justin Upton, and you get Kevin Gausman. That's virtually it. You know, yeah. uh, in the, this day and age, and there's no kind of sitting around. There's, and there's no talking to Chris Davis last night on an over four night where he strikes struck out, out four, four times. times. Right. In other words, you know, right. Not to say that Chris wouldn't come out and talk to you. He probably would, knowing Chris Davis. But my 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 whole point to that is they, you know, they're very guarded as far as yeah, you know, availability and things of that nature. Yeah, I've and looked. it's really a sad state of affairs because as reporters. You are the link. You are the link between the player and and the team and the, and, and the fans. And you know that that kind of thing just doesn't happen that much anymore. All right. Uh, and by the way, you know when I was y- much younger, I used to like really kind of. And don't get me wrong, if I could go back and live my life and have played Major League Baseball, I would have loved it. But back when I first started in there, I like looked up to these guys. You know, and their lifestyle, like, God, it's so exciting. I now, I know what it's like just for you and I, the grind physically. Mm-hmm. I really have an amazing appreciation and have unromanticized it. You know, it is a grind. Sure. So that extra, to us, that extra 35, 40 minutes after the game where you could have had a discussion with a, a coach. By the way, in the old days, the coaches used to be in the same locker room. You know, back in the 80s, 70s and 80s. Now they're you can't even go to talk to the coaches. No, without yeah, permission. and the other thing, the other thing is they have cut down at Camden Yards. They have cut down the entrance to the clubhouse, uh, where you would walk in down the hallway, hang a right, and then that would lead you into the clubhouse itself. Uh, that has no longer been the case. The last two years, they have cut down and made that whole area off limits. They let you in the clubhouse through a side door from the from the hallway, you know, underneath. The uh, other thing, Craig, the other thing that's changed it a great deal is where I might have had, if I wasn't doing a radio show in the old days, I might have had 45 minutes or an hour to sit there and talk to a Ray Miller or a Terry Crowley. Now all of us have obligations from the work side of things with, with um, the Internet the way it is posting online stories, you don't really have the leisurely time to sit there and talk to the batting coach for 20 minutes. Right, and that, and the other part of it, too, is uh, if you want to get the coach or the manager 
one-on-one. You have to set it up through the PR people. It's yeah. no, no longer a situation where you can go out there and uh, just grab somebody coming off the field and say, you know, hey, John Russell, can I talk to you for a yeah. second? You yeah. know? So, I mean, that, that part of it's changed. Uh, to the detriment of, the, of what we do and, you know, how yeah. we get our information out. Yeah, and it's just changed the whole relationship yeah. basis of what we do. Hey, by the way, I hope this uh, shows up. Is this showing up on camera, Bonza? Uh, this is the bobblehead that's going to be given away tonight. Jonathan Scope bobblehead. See my head? There's Jonathan's bobblehead, okay? Now, can you hold that up like that for the rest of the show? <laughs> no, I can't. No, I can't. Okay. But I just wanted to mention that. That's the giveaway tonight for the first 25,000 fans, 15 and older, that get to the ballpark tonight. Orioles lose a tough one last night, 5-2. to two. It doesn't get easier tonight with Wade Miley on the hill, but it does get easier from the Tigers' standpoint. They're starting a first-time starter. I think, um, what is this guy's name, Vander Drake or something tonight? Yeah, I believe so. Drew Vander Drake yeah. or something. Michael Fulmer, one of the, in my opinion, one of the top ten pitchers in the American League, probably, is on the disabled list. He will not pitch tonight. So the Orioles trying to regain some lost momentum will send Miley and Jimenez the next two games against Drake Verha- uh, Verhagen. Verhagen, and what's his first name? Drew. Drew. Drew Verhagen. Let's just say that ten times. Drew Verhagen. Uh, and they'll send Annabelle you screwed Sanchez. screwed it up after one time. I, I only needed <laughs> once to screw it up. If you are coming over to Facebook uh, Facebook Live at facebook.com slash Sports to watch us on Facebook Live, please share it because that helps get our numbers up of viewers, all right? And Bonza, I ask you and Craig to share it as well as our viewers out there. Joining us now is a friend of the program in more ways than one. He's a friend and a sponsor, and as Steve Garland from Big Bats. And, Steve, tell us um, what time of day this uh, tornado hit down at Stevensville and how close were you uh, in this situation? Hey, uh, good morning, Stan, and good morning, everybody. It was uh, the, the phone alarm went off on our phone for a tornado alert at 2 a.m. in the morning. Oh, 2 a.m.? And as soon as it woke us up with the phone, the next thing you know, you heard the rain hitting the house real hard and a little bit of, I don't know, the wind was really blowing. So uh, it was uh, the storm hit just the same time as the, the phone rang to tell us there was a tornado in the area. Amazing because I was telling Stan, I walked, or I rode over across the bridge about a week or two ago to do some bike riding over in St. Michael's and I stopped by the place and you guys were closed and there were tree limbs down all over the place and the lights uh the traffic lights outside uh right there on the main highway uh that goes uh from north to south there was you were all being uh police directed uh so it was not a pretty scene in traffic at least heading south i knew in the single lane uh very backed up so they were only letting residents into the area yeah it was it was quite messed up it you know it is what it is. We're lucky. When you see all the damage everywhere, you just can't believe that nobody got hurt, but no, no major injuries at all. So overall, it was uh, we I mean we made out. And uh, and I look at it as an ex-builder and contractor. Nobody get hurt, you know. Just 
spurs the economy on, and there's all kinds of work for people. Yeah, yeah. I guess part of the good news was that 2 a.m. in the morning, there weren't a lot of people up and about, so that's probably why nobody was hurt, you know, fortunately. Yeah, well, like I said, on one of the places, uh, a couple of the town happened, it took the roof right off, and there <sighs> people sleeping in their beds right underneath where the roof came off, so it's amazing how they didn't get hurt. That is unbelievable. That is unbelievable. Uh, we're talking with Steve Garland, owner of Big Bats, right there in the heart of Stevensville, Maryland. Uh, first stop off of um, once you get across the Bay Bridge going to the eastern shore, um, you come up to that stop sign, make a left, and a quarter mile down the road, there's Big Bats over on the right-hand side. So what kind of damage did you have at the restaurant? I had only uh, branches and, 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 and leaves all over the parking lot and everything. I left out there. I had no power for about 28 hours. Uh, so we got to throw a little bit of food away, which is still acceptable. That's what you have to do. And, uh, and my house had a lot of tree damage, but that was it. So, um, everything lucked out pretty good. All right. All right. Well, thank God nobody was hurt and you're back up and running. Uh, you know, it's interesting. The crowds at the stadium, especially on weeknights have not been great. A lot of, Fifteen to 20,000 crowds the last uh, two homestands. Um, viewership is way up. Are you finding at the restaurant that as many people as before watching games there come into the bar and enjoying baseball? Well, I think we have a, a reasonable crowd for the ball games. We have uh, a few specials like uh, a big 32-ounce uh, Natty Bow and in your own uh, Natty Bow cup for five bucks. But, you know, it's it just, it just. I know. Last night, I'm sitting home and watching the game on my TV at home when I got home last night, and I was. It was after a hard day's work, I guess. And I was just saying, it's so nice to sit here and relax in this nice soft chair and watch this game. And I was telling myself, why do I want to drive to the game? And that's terrible for me to say yeah. something like that. But it was just so relaxing last night, just sitting back and watching the game. What What do and you I also, make? I know. Sit, uh, go ahead. I also could say the relaxation stops as soon as the, the grand slam happens. So, uh, yeah, there was so, still still a lot of stress watching the team. You know, you're yeah. you're a longtime baseball fan and a pretty smart one, and you still play some ball. Um, Kevin Gosman, I'm so frustrated by how well he's pitching now, and despite all the problems with Ubaldo, Miley, and Tillman, if Kevin Gosman had come out of the gate pitching like this. The Orioles would be right in the heart of things right now. Yeah, he would have, but uh, you know what? It's 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 a, it's a long haul to get all that uh, experience on your bow. So maybe he's found a couple more things that click in his mental attitude, and then maybe this is what we'll see for a good bit now. So uh, it just doesn't, you know, it's hard to get a pitcher to come up and just be good all the time, you know, especially at a young age. So, uh, and you'll hear so many people talk about how this guy was in the league for so long, and now all of a sudden, wow, he's amazing, and it just finally clicked. So uh, hopefully that's what's happened, and uh, he's got some good stuff. If he could just control his pitch count a little bit, it would been nice for him to go back in that eighth inning and pitch another inning, you know what I mean? So, yeah. Uh, it would have you know, been nice, but it's really hard. It's It really is hard to get down on Givens because he's had such a terrific year. And that was yeah, one really bad pitch. He's you know? been terrific over the last couple of years yeah. for the Orioles, and as part of that four-man bullpen, 
you know, but you bring up a good point, uh, and that's the fact that what Justin Verlander said after the game last night, he said, you know, just with the way the game swung, he says, if I don't pitch the eighth inning, he said, I don't get a win. And I still value wins as a starting pitcher. He says, I think there's a lot to be said uh, for, for winning games as a starting pitcher, and I tend to agree with him. And, he, you know, he, both, he talked both about him and Gosman having high pitch counts right. right at the beginning in the first couple of innings. Gosman had a 29-pitch first inning last night. But he said both, both you know, we both kind of settled in. And, uh, you know, the fact that I was able to go out there for the seventh inning, the bottom of the seventh, will allow me to get the win. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah, well, anyway. I, had, I had a problem last night. I mean, Gibbons was having a little bit of trouble finding a plate for those couple guys. And then the guys made some great hits because they hit some pitches tight inside their hands and pushed them off the right field. But when you got the bases loaded and you start out with a nice slow curveball, you just don't like. He's got that 98, 99, 100 mile an hour fastball. I mean, I've been, I was saying you're going to have to beat me with the best thing that I got, and I just didn't like that curveball first pitch. Mm. All right, hey, uh, we always have you on at the beginning of a month to talk about the uh, Bay Bridge traffic. Now, my producer Bonzatufa says you, you, uh, he spoke to you about 9:40, 9:45, and you were stuck in that Bay Bridge traffic. Are you still stuck in it? I'm uh, just coming up to the toll booth right now. Uh, I was a little bit concerned when I went across because as I was going to Annapolis to pick something up, the traffic was backed up all the way to the Severn River Bridge. And uh, when I got picked the stuff up and headed way back, I was the traffic started at the Severn River Bridge. But it has moved fairly well. I mean, we were lots of times we were driving 25, 35 miles an hour. So I'm up here at the uh, toll booth boots right now getting ready to go through in a little bit so i'm very pleased as bad as it looked how fast i moved so uh it's still worth you know the lovely ride to come to the eastern shore no matter what it's like on the eastbound side are they running <clears throat> pardon me are they running the one lane of traffic on the new span yeah they're running the suicide lane right yeah. now yes that's what we call it <laughs> that's the that's the lane that did me in with bridges permanently about five years ago Never, I've never recovered to where I can drive across a bridge. It's unbelievable. Um, tell us, what, what is that phone number again for people if they're embarking upon their trip and they want to know uh, what the traffic is like? Yeah, the, the, the number is uh, 877-229-7726. Uh, they update it like every two minutes, and it's, it's a great tool to understand what's going on in the Bay Bridge when you're traveling eastbound or westbound. Give it, give it to me one more time. 877-229-7726. All right. Uh, Steve Garland, as always, we appreciate it. We'll get you on right around Labor Day. All right? Hey, sounds good. You guys have a great week, and yeah. hopefully the Orioles can win the next two and split the series and, uh, and go out west and hopefully – beat up somebody, but I don't think there's any team easy to beat anymore. No, they're they're all pretty pretty equal. All right, we'll talk to you soon, Steve. Really appreciate hey. it. Hey, have a great day, guys. Great week. All right. You know, it's funny, what, what you just said, and I heard Tom Davis on the way home last night right. along with Dave Johnson uh, on the radio, and Tom was saying, you know, I'm looking at the standings because they do it every night. They're, right. you know, playoff possibilities, this, that, and everything else. Uh, and while that gets a little tedious at times – you you look at the standings, both National League and American League, and the amount of 
uh, teams that are still under 500 in Major League Baseball. A lot of them. And there's a lot of them. You're, you're, you're on average, you're talking about 17 or 18 teams under 500 right. in both in all right. of Major League Baseball. We've well, got one team that's over 40 games over 500, yeah. the Dodgers. Well, the, but the other part of that, too, is the San Francisco Giants. You right. are here on the first week of August, and right. they are 35 and a half games out of first place, 35 and a half with two months of baseball to play. Yeah. Where would that be if – and look, they're not a good team. No, they're not. But if Bumgarner, it's probably more like 22 games out. Yeah. 24 yeah. games out, yeah. something like that. And and he winds up last night being a tough – a great game, yeah. Tough luck loser, though, because he loses by a run and he goes seven innings and he, you know, he strikes out whatever it was, nine or ten, and he winds up losing that game. Uh, we're talking uh, baseball here on the show, and we're making our connections right now with uh, Press Box beat writer uh, for, for both the paper and for PressBoxOnline.com, and that is Rich Dubroff, and he will join us momentarily and talk a little bit. Uh, we'll we'll kind of recap the end of the trade uh, deadline. Interesting yesterday, two big names, though, did Get, did clear waivers, Justin Verlander of the Tigers, uh, which means the Tigers could trade him to anybody. And they should have before last night's game. Right, right. <laughs> and uh, the other one is Jay Bruce just became available as well. Yeah. And means that uh, the Mets can trade him to anybody. Joining us now is Rich Dubroff. And, Rich, uh, uh, last night a tough loss, but that interpretation of the rule, Buck's not a big fan of the rule. But that was the correct interpretation on Caleb Jones' strikeout, even though he was hit. Sure, because the intent, uh, you know, you can say the intent, you can say the intent, but, you know, lots of times pitchers don't intend to hit hitters, and they do. Right. So, uh, you know, I I think it was a, uh, I think it was the right call. But the most important factor of the game was Michael Gibbons giving up a grand slam home run, not the... You know, not that call. Oh, yeah, I have no question about it. But the other part of that call is, and in talking to Caleb after the game, is that, you know, if the ball hits you on the hand while holding the bat, right. that is supposed to be part, part of, of the, the bat. bat. Right. So why is, that, why is that not a foul, foul ball, ball at that point? Yeah, I don't know. That's a good point, too. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we didn't have Rich on to talk about the rules. So. Well, no, but I'm just saying. I mean, uh, you know, I understand when Caleb does the jackknife. Yep. Because the ball's coming at his head at a hundred, he does the jackknife. He gets hit on the hand in the, you know, the the barrel or not the barrel end, but the handle end of the bat. Right. And the ball, he obviously is hit on the hand. Right. But if the hand is part of the bat, then that why should, isn't a foul why ball? Why is not that a not a that's foul a good, ball? That's a good. Good question and for an umpire. If that's the case, Caleb's still in the box, and, he, you know. All right. We're talking with Rich Dubroff. He covers baseball, the Orioles baseball, for PressBoxOnline.com and the newspaper PressBox. Uh, Rich, um, timing of having you on, we're about five days later, and I would have liked to have had you on, but I know you did Glenn Clark's show the other day. Uh, what's your take on what happened there nearing the 4 o'clock deadline on Monday. Uh, did the Orioles do anything wrong, or was it just a question of um, the Astros GM or Vice President of Baseball Operations, Jeff Lunau, not accurately reading the tea leaves that it was going to be more complicated than he thought because they got kind of left at the starting gate 
with only the pickup of Francisco Liriano. Yeah, they uh, they they've been taking uh, they they've been taking a lot of heat in the last few days in the uh, you know in the baseball blog world uh, for not uh, you know for, for not getting anything uh, ma- major done there, and a feeling of a lot of people is that they uh, haven't been willing to to move their uh, you know their top prospects. So uh, I know that uh, you know I know the Orioles would have uh, wanted you know, would have wanted some pitching. And I don't know, I, I was told that they were, that they offered the Orioles a four for one deal. Well, I don't know exactly who those four, you know, who those four players were. I know there, there were some, uh, some issues with, you know, some issues with medicals. Uh, but, you know, overall they felt the Orioles felt that the, uh, you know, that, that the offers for Britain weren't there and the Astros were really the only semi-serious suitor, but uh, they didn't offer the Orioles the, the players to get uh, to get it done. One one question though, you you've been plugged in pretty good since you were covering the Orioles for for CSN, and now you're with us, so you've got some consistency doing this. You you get to take the temperature of things throughout baseball, not just Oriole baseball. Are the Orioles, have they developed a reputation both with agents, other teams, GMs, as being, I'll use the word, extremely difficult to deal with to get something concluded in a timely fashion? It, with some teams, you know, with, with some teams, you know, some teams, yes. Uh, but I think that, you know, I, I, I think that, you know, these are very, co- these are very complicated deals. If they, if the Orioles had been, you know, blown over mm-hmm. with an Andrew Miller type deal or an Aroldis Chapman type deal, which is what they thought Zach Britton deserved, right. then I think the deal would have gotten done. They weren't, and so you were in that gray. So you were in that gray area. I mean, these deals are very, very hard to do. Yeah. Uh, I mean, look, you know, look around baseball, and you know there weren't that many big deals this time. I mean, it was Darvish and Gray. And, and Gray was sort of assumed, and, and you know, a lot of people think that the uh, think that the A's didn't get very much back for Sonny Gray, for uh, you know, for as much control as uh, as the Yankees have over him. And the Dodgers certainly didn't give up uh, what were considered some of their top prospects for for you Dar- Darvish either. I am. Uh... You know, I, I know one of the uh, one of the prospects that they were talking about with the Astros right. was the Tucker kid. Right. Now that said, uh, I, I said something to Stan earlier this week, and it's you know if you go th- back through the history of this club with the ownership that's currently in place, the one thing that they have always done, Rich, is you know they've always had the philo- philosophy, rightly or wrongly, that they are doing the fans a disservice right. if if they trade their top-notch players, regardless of record of the team, because you're you're doing the fans a disservice in terms of they're they're not going to come out to the ballpark and 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 watch a bunch of lesser players, if you will, uh, you know, perform on the field. And that's always been the case. You go well, back, this dates to, back you, to '96, '96, and when, the owner was right that that the team still had a chance to make the playoffs, and I think that's repeated this year. Right, and they and they did, but uh, that was the year that uh, you know, you know, 
that Pat Gillick wanted to trade Bobby Bonilla and David, and David Wells. Wells, right? And then we saw, you know, you know, only Sid Thrift really when the trade deadline came to to pass. Uh, That's the one year they got rid of they Sir Hoff and Bordick, right? Clark. Exactly, yep. Will Clark. So, I mean, I just think that's been the philosophy of this ownership group down through the years, and I don't see that changing. Well, I think they are, with, and, and I think it's it's kind of interesting because both Dan Duquette and Buck Showalter, as you know, have contract only through next year, and you don't know whether that, you know, that that uh, factors into the thinking, the thinking too. But I mean, nobody is saying that there was a terrific offer out there for Britain. Right. I mean, that's what uh, that, that's what I keep waiting to see. That there, yes, there was. Yeah, I mean, yes, there was an offer made. And, uh, you know, Buck Showalter and Dan Duquette, you know, look at these, you know, look at these kinds of offers. I know Duquette talks them over with, you know, we'll talk something like that over with Buck because Buck, you know, follows minor leagues of other teams uh, pretty closely. So I don't think that they came that, that close to, to doing it. I think they, you know, they backed away when they realized that the Astros weren't going to blow them over. The, the well, interesting... now, a couple of things, though, with that is that you're talking about 10 or 15 minutes prior to that deadline. I've been told by three different people that there was a deal in place right. that the Orioles then said no. Now, that goes back to your point. Maybe it wasn't enough, but the Astros thought they had a deal in place. Right. Well, I, it's it's interesting to me. Jeff Lunau and Dan Duquette had made a deadline deal uh, and uh, I have a source from the Houston organization that we all know, and remi he reminded me that the Bud Norris deal was done about four minutes before 4 o'clock four years ago. Um, so Jeff Lunau had some experience that worked out favorably. I would say a year from now, if the Astros are in a similar situation, they're not waiting until 3 o'clock on Monday to get turned down by the Orioles. They would have moved much quicker like Theo Epstein did on Saturday. Apparently he was in the bidding, uh, maybe not as seriously, but he he ascertained that this is going to be a down-to-the-wire thing and we can't wait. So he spun around and picked up Avila and Justin Wilson rather than wait to get uh, spurned at the, at the uh, altar uh, by the Orioles. We're talking with Rich Dubroff of... Uh, PressBoxOnline.com. Rich, um, uh, I'm, I'm more curious also about how something else worked. At the same time Dan Duquette is working, uh, and I think he was an honest broker trying to t do a deal that he thought would help the Orioles both long-term and short-term, he, he was nimbly able to pivot and make two very interesting acquisitions. Was he, in other words, would the Beckham deal have happened if the Britain deal had happened, yeah, I think so. Okay, um, I, I think it wasn't. Uh, I, I think it it wasn't that they were waiting. Uh, I I think that they just did it at the last. I think that they just happened to do that one at the last minute. I mean, that really did come out of uh, come out of nowhere, as a lot of uh, you know, as a lot of the Duquette deals have. Uh, and that you know, I, I, that of course now everybody thinks is a, a great steal. Four days in. Uh, I don't think that uh, Tim Beckham's going to hit 686 lifetime uh, <laughs> uh, with, with the Orioles. 
And, you know, he may have a game when he goes 0 for 4 instead of 3 for 4. Well, we'll but, have but, to, but, but he does have, and I heard Dan Duquette yesterday with Jim Bowden, and I understand he said this on Masson as well. Uh, one of the things they liked about him was outside of Tropicana Field, mm-hmm. his batting average goes up career-wise to somewhere right. in the 270 range instead of like 245 or and something so, And like so that. does the on-base percentage yeah. too. Yeah. Right. Well, he, uh, you know, Dan told us that in the uh, uh, when we uh, when we talked to him after the trading deadline. Uh, but you know, the Orioles, as we've talked about so many times, the Orioles don't have a shortstop for next year, uh, and now maybe they do. Yeah. Uh, you know, the question the questions about his defense are are going to be very important. Uh, you know, whether he can, uh, you know, whether whether he's good enough defensively at short. Uh, so that that's something that they're going to have to to look at between now and the end of the season. He'll get a lot of playing time. Of course, Buck Showalter said the other day, when J.J. Hardy comes off the disabled list, it'll be his job. Uh, we'll see. They, they at uh, least look like they're going to take a long, hard look at him for to, three, three and a half weeks. And also, yeah. you might have to look, take a look at him at second base and see if maybe Jonathan Scope plays shortstop next year. Yeah. So that's uh, uh, but. You know, it's interesting because I know the Orioles were interested in Hesheveria when the uh, when the Rays a Dany Hesheveria no Echeveria. a Dany Hesheveria it's like Echebaron uh, only it's like Echebaron only Echeveria there you go right all right yeah and he would have been you know a good acquisition for him but he um, he supplanted Beckham at shortstop in Tampa Bay right so. All because uh, all because of defense, right? Yeah, but if you know the thing is, if Tim Beckham hits very very well, and oh, he certainly has in the first four games, and he supplies the energy which we haven't seen around here uh, in a long time, the speed, the athleticism, then you know, with a great second baseman and a great third baseman, well, maybe they'll uh, you know. Maybe they'll take a step back there defensively and think, well, he'll, you know, he'll get us some more, you know, he'll get us enough runs that we don't have to worry as much let me, defensively. Let me ask you one other question about Beckham. In the month of September, and let's just suppose J.J. Hardy is back and the Orioles are, you know, eight games, nine games out of the playoffs, so it's all intents and purposes, the season is over. Might they take a look at Tim Beckham at third base? No, I don't think so. Okay. I can't imagine. Um, I mean, that's a good thought, and I know where you're going with so it. So you can't imagine that they'd even, explore, they'd, they'd even explore a deal of Manny Machado during this offseason? Well, I don't really. The thing is, I think you need to see. You know you have Machado at third base next year if you want him. Right. So I, And also, one thing, Buck Showalter doesn't like to experiment for the sake of experimenting. Uh, I think that, you know, Beckham has had limited experience at third. Mm-hmm. He's had, you know, some experience at second. Right. And he doesn't like to put too many players outside. Their um, comfort zones. Outside yeah. their comfort uh, comfort zone. Let's say, oh, let's put Machado, Machado at short and Beckham at third to see. That's not really something he does. Right. He will do it out of, he'll do it out of necessity. But not, you know, not just to see. 
Yeah. Kind of like how they kind of like how the regular left fielder never played an inning of minor league outfield. I mean and and they signed Trumbo to a 3-year contract and didn't know until this spring training that Trey Mancini could play the outfield. That's mind-boggling to me. Well, he also uh, he also had been working in the offseason with Brady Anderson uh, in the outfield, okay. which, of course, wasn't... No, of course, uh, that simulates, no, it, that, that simulates no. Major League Baseball outfield play, you know, working out with Brady Anderson. Yeah. You know what I'm but, saying. Uh, I mean, in other words, I'm not talking about some grand experiment. I'm just talking about, hey, during the offseason, we might get hit with an, uh, a huge offer for Manny Machado, it might be nice to know if Tim Beckham could play third base. Well, or Ryan Mount. Guess why Ryan Mountcastle was playing third, third base, base now. in Bowie. Yeah, okay. That's a good point. Uh, we're talking with Rich Dubroff. Just a couple of minutes left. I, I've, I've talked a little bit. Everybody referring to Jeremy Hellickson, who's making $17 million this year on a qualifying offer as a two-month rental. Uh, it's my opinion that Jeremy Hellickson is going to end up being sort of a three-year or four-year contract in the 13 to $14 million range per season. Might the two months in an Oriole uniform perhaps give the Orioles a leg up if they'd like to sign this guy? Well, his, uh, his agent is Scott Boris, and uh, unless... So that means he'll, that means he'll end up as a Washington National. That's it. <laughs> well, Jeremy, uh, you know, unless if Jeremy Hellickson is bowled over by his experience in Baltimore, right? Uh, then maybe, but uh, you know, it's not a very good free agent class of pitchers this year, Stan. Mm-hmm. And I know, you know, Hellickson uh, has been very cautious in taking qualifying offers before, but I think that uh, you know. He's good enough that he'll get a multiple year offer, and I think that while uh, while it would be a good idea for the Orioles to have him, I would think that you know someone will overpay for him, like the Dodgers overpaid to re-sign Rich Hill. Right. All right. Anything else? Uh, anything else? No, I'm pretty end? good with that. The only other thing is a couple of days ago, uh, when the winning streak had reached five, all of a sudden. They're two and a half games behind the final wild card team, uh, but then the last two days they've dropped uh, back to seven and a half, seven in the loss column behind the Red Sox. Red Sox have reeled off four in a row. The Yankees are all of a sudden stumbling, so the lead has widened for the Red Sox over the Yankees in the East. Uh, is there still a legitimate shot for this team? You know, even though everybody was yelling "sell, sell, sell" at the deadline. Is there still a legitimate shot at a wild card for this team? Only if it only if it plays as well as it did the first five weeks. Yeah, I mean that because you know somebody else will play that well, right? And unless they you know unless unless they go um, in one of those twenty-two and ten runs which they did early in the season, then uh, then not. I mean, basically, since they since they had that skid, they've basically been playing five, you know, sort of five hundred ball for right. for an extent for you know two months, uh, and you know, and they haven't even gotten back to five hundred since the end of June. 
So I think that they're they're going to be really hard pressed to get back into this thing. It could happen, but they are going to have to go on one of those roles. The only good thing, the thing, the good thing we've seen is that the starting pitching uh, has gotten a lot better. Yeah, uh, particularly Kevin Gosman. Uh, so I, I think that's the only thing to that you can hang your hat on is if the starting pitching continues to to be a little better, then uh, then maybe they can. Uh, they can turn it around a bit and at least make it at least make it entertaining. Does Chris Tillman make his next start? Questionable, but uh, his Buck Showalter looks really closely at uh, pitchers' histories in parks, and his next start would come in Anaheim, and in Anaheim, Tillman has done very, very well. Yeah. All right. That's a different Chris Tillman, though. He is Rich Dubroff. He does a super job covering the Orioles. Um, real quick, I, I know we've had you on a bit longer than I anticipated. Tell folks how they can uh, be a part of Jersey of the Night. Okay. Uh, tweet tweet uh, at me if you have a jersey that you like, that you're wearing. Have somebody take a picture of you. Uh, or if you see somebody, if you see a jersey that you think is good, tweet it at me. At Rich Dubroff, D-U-B-R-O-F-F-M-L-B. And give it give the parameters of this. It has to be an Oriole jersey of a player that is no longer a on the current or- roster. A former, former or- Oriole jersey. The more obscure, the more the- notorious, the better. All right. We love it. We'll talk to you tonight. See you at the ballpark, Rich. Appreciate okay, thank it. you, guys. All right. There you have it. Rich Dubroff does a great job for us uh, covering the Baltimore Orioles. And, by the way, it's become an asset – to the radio stations around uh, because he's often a guest on other yeah, radio sh- stations and shows. Yeah, And, uh, you know, what he said uh, about the Orioles getting back into this thing, while Chris Tillman does pitch well in Anaheim and the stats prove that out, as you said, this is a different Chris Tillman. Yeah, this Plus, is- this is a situation where this West Coast trip uh, on as a history – is not very kind to the Orioles. So they're going to have to, having lost the first two games of this Tiger series, have to win the next two tonight and tomorrow, yep. and then turn around and go to the West Coast and at and least try and win seven, 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 six or seven out of the out ten, of ten games. games. Yeah. Right, absolutely. All right. Uh, and by the way, the Angels have gotten hot. They're back at 500. Uh, you're listening and watching Press Box Online's uh, Bat Around. We will return after these commercial messages, and one of those messages is about the Aberdeen Ironbirds. Uh, Let the Aberdeen Ironbirds take all the stress out of planning your family's next night out. Introducing the Green Turtle Friends and Family Package. Get four Ironbirds tickets, four Green Turtle tickets, and four Ironbirds caps for just $49.96. That's a $208 value for $49.96. Purchase your Green Turtle Friends and Family Package online today by visiting ironbirdsbaseball.com your summer starts now
many people know about Goodwill through donating clothes and furniture. Did you know that Goodwill also accepts vehicle donations? Goodwill accepts vehicles in running or non-running condition. When you donate a vehicle, you can steer clear of all of the headaches associated with trying to sell a car yourself. It's fast, simple, and reliable, and you also receive a tax deduction. When you donate to Goodwill, know that your donation is being used to help someone find a job. Last year, we provided job training services to people in need of assistance because of physical, mental, or other social barriers and placed over 3,000 into jobs. To donate your vehicle to Goodwill, visit givethegoodwill.org or call 866-492-2770. That's givethegoodwill.org, 866-492-2770. Let the Aberdeen Ironbirds take all the stress out of planning your family's next night out. Introducing the Green Turtle Friends and Family Package. Get four Ironbirds tickets, four Green Turtle dinners, and four Ironbirds caps for just $49.96. That's a $208 value for $49.96. Purchase your Green Turtle Friends and Family Package online today by visiting ironbirdsbaseball.com. Your summer starts now. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Steve Ginsburg profiles former Baltimore Sun reporter Ken Rosenthal, now one of baseball's most prominent voices for Fox Sports and MLB Network. Plus, Ravens beat writer Bo Smolka previews training camp, 10 questions with Orioles closer Zach Britton, and more. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Charm City's newest football team, the Baltimore Brigade, are taking arena football to the next level at Royal Farms Arena. This is the first ever season, and you're going to want to be there for it all. Catch a great game with your family sitting close to the field, or get your night started with friends in the bunker party zone. Baltimore Brigade football is high-speed, action-packed, non-stop excitement everyone can enjoy. Get your tickets now at BaltimoreBrigade.com or by calling 667-930-0200. Baltimore Brigade football presented by MedStar Health, brick by brick. Kyle, here's the thing. Since we're streaming live now every day at Facebook.com slash PressBoxSports, video-wise, I'm going to need you to step your game up when it comes to what you wear to work every day from 10 to noon. Uh, I hear you. I mean, I, I'm, they can't see my legs. I can still wear the chaps. Okay, that's fine. I just don't understand, for me, why they have to be assless chaps. I have the chaps that I have. Okay. <laughs> and I have the toes that I have. This is what we do every day from 10 to noon. Glenn Clark, Kyle Ottenheimer for Glenn Clark Radio. I'm not sure that you'll learn anything. I'm not sure that you'll ever really be entertained. But afterwards, it's going to be a pleasant experience for all involved. How does that work? Yeah, don't worry about it. Glenn Clark Radio and Facebook.com slash Sports. A new summer menu with two great new items at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square. First up, the Smokehouse Barbecue Bacon Sandwich. It's Chick-fil-A's signature grilled chicken and new bacon glazed in a brown sugar pepper blend. Served on a Hawaiian-style bun with Colby Jack cheese, green leaf lettuce, and a zesty Smokehouse Barbecue Sauce that's crafted specifically for the sandwich. They also have the Watermelon Mint Lemonade. You can get it as a regular or a diet lemonade. It's got all-natural watermelon and mint flavors, and it's complimentary to the Smokehouse Barbecue sandwich. Get the Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square 5198 Campbell Boulevard in the Nottingham Square Shopping Center. Tell Steve Pavlovsky we said hello and get there before August 19th because these items are available for a limited time only.
All right, many people know about Goodwill through donating clothes and furniture. Did you know that Goodwill also accepts vehicle donations? Goodwill accepts vehicles in running or non-running condition. When you donate a vehicle, you can steer clear of all the headaches associated with trying to sell a car yourself. It's fast, simple, and reliable. And and you also receive a tax deduction. When you donate to Goodwill, know that your donation is being used to help someone find a job. Last year, we provided job training services to people in need of assistance because of physical, mental, or other social barriers and placed over 3,000 into jobs. To, to donate your vehicle to Goodwill, visit givetogoodwill.org or call 866-492-2770. And we are back on the bat around and we welcome Goodwill Vehicle Donation in as a sponsor of the program. Uh, Craig, we're going to have on a young lady um, who you and I figured out in the first hour, if she were doing the PA for all the Oriole games. There would be a seven-game winning streak exactly, at this point. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, so Ryan Wagner... Uh, we're on to you, pal. <laughs> His days are numbered. His days are numbered. Um, seriously, Adrian Roberson, you know her a little bit. She does the PA out at the Bowie Bay Sox. At the Bowie Bay Sox, yeah. We've known each other for uh, about a year and a half, two years. So she's another person that Bonza would like to stab in the back to get their job. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. yeah. And there's a basically ton of them young, out there. Basically young broadcast. Uh, aspiring young broadcasters, right. they're looking for who they can pick off. Right, exactly. And uh, Bonza is not a friend to anybody no. <laughs> in this case. Way to expose me. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Oh, no, not a problem. We're no, here. You've done a good We're job. here to help. You've done a good job <laughs> exposing yourself exactly. for years. <laughs> Especially on 270. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so tell us a little, Adrian. Uh, will join us. She's done PA with Bowie Bay Sox, and the Orioles have had her on Mother's Day a couple times. Yeah, and, she's and she's, filled she in. fills in for Ryan a for, little for bit. For Ryan a little bit here and there, and a great voice. And one of the things I want to get into with her is just the whole idea of, and as we know from a minor league standpoint, those games are so much different for the fans than a major league ballpark or a major league uh, game is because of the promotions and things of that nature that go on uh, during the course of the ball game at the minor league level and at the minor league stadiums. Uh, just to how, how different is it for her doing that and not having that at Camden Yards? And just the whole idea of how she prepares, because there's always things like pronunciations of names, things of that nature uh, that you have to be prepared for. Uh, what is her normal day like as she prepares to do a game and, and be the PA announcer for nine innings out of Camden Yards? All right. We will talk to her momentarily. Uh, Craig, um, we also, again, I just want to remind people, we'll be joined by Adrian Roberson in just a minute. Marty Conway, uh, former marketing director for the Baltimore Orioles and Texas Rangers, worked a long time for AOL. He's a teacher at Georgetown University teaches uh, sports and journalism. Uh, he will join us at 11.20 to talk about the famous day 24 years ago that Nolan Ryan and Robin Ventura got into a little brawl. That's right. I went to the fights and the baseball game broke out. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah and that was one of the great uh, moments uh, in terms of base brawls, if you will, uh, because this was a situation where uh, you know, Robin gets hit in the elbow with a, you know, with a fastball from Ryan, 
And it just looks like he's going to go to first base. And all of a sudden, about. He took a little detour. T- took a little detour, about five or six steps up the first baseline. He just decided to drop the batting helmet and go after Nolan and probably thought a little bit differently after the about, game was over. About five with. minutes after that fight. <laughs> well, probably about 30 seconds after he got out to Nolan. Uh, but anyway, here on the bat around, Adrian Roberson has been filling in. Out at uh, Camden Yards this week, a couple of games, as Ryan Wagner was out of town, and uh, she is the PA announcer down with the Bowie Bay Sox and uh, was up here filling in, and we just thought it would be interesting to have her on to talk a little bit about, you know, difference between minor league and major league baseball and being a PA announcer. Adrian, good morning. How are you? Good morning. How are you doing? I'm good. You know, I told Stan... I said this was just a, you know, I wanted to get your phone number, so I we got it, and here, here we are. <laughs> and I know nice. you're terrible. I, Greg. I told you that. I told you that at the stadium, and you started laughing and everything, and that was great. Uh, anyway, that was clever. <laughs> we we've known each other for a few years because you have filled in before, but I, you know there is a difference between minor league baseball, which you deal with with the Bowie Bay Sox, and also. Uh, at Camden Yards. First of all, what's the biggest difference? And I would have to think right away, it would have to be because of the promotions in a minor league ballpark. That's certainly different, the in-between inning stuff, as opposed to what you see at Camden Yards. There's a lot more going on in minor league. There's a, a lot more last-minute things happening. You never, the, the timing is so much more important in uh, minor league, uh, relaying with the umpires, uh, you're paying attention to a lot more things, but then also we've got games and events and people coming out to the ballpark uh, that are also just there to see, you know, things in between the innings and to have a lot of fun and families are active. So there's a lot more things happening on the fly. There's a lot more to read, a lot more to talk about. So that and, that in uh, itself that in itself is different when you when you think about. Uh... Uh, going through a whole night. Now, it starts with you at Camden Yards, I guess, coordination between up above uh, in, in the control room, uh, getting the messages to you as far as the, the whole outline of the night and how it's going to go. Yeah, at, at Camden, it's, it's a lot different. It's, it's like a live news show. It's a live segment. Uh, there's a TV director, basically. There's a producer. There's a music director, you got the Chiron board. There, there's so much to coordinate, and there's a lot of people on that headset, and you've got you know at least nine cameras out there. So there, there's a lot more going on, a lot more voices in the headset, and uh, you totally take direction. They're in charge, and it's different because at the Bay Sox, you're all in the same row, and you can just lean back and talk to each other and all the timing. Being at Camden Yard, since they're all upstairs, yeah, everything is relayed from a different floor, and it, it's very interesting. The timing is amazing. It's, it's, it's a great production they put on. Because of that, do you, can you lose concentration at times because of that? What's going on in your ear and everything else? Uh, I, tr- I try to tune some of it out. I listen to the main director talking and what he wants and when I should go, but the other conversation, you try to tune that out as best as you can because they may be correcting some camera shot might not be right or they want something done differently and you got to know they're not talking to you and saying, no, that's not right. Mm-hmm. We're talking with Adrian Roberson, who is a PA announcer for the Bowie Bay Sox. She just filled in for three straight nights and we got three wins in a row. Uh, for a PA announcer, Adrian, is, is there a different high 
for a game when you're doing it for the winning team versus the losing team? Well, it, it is so much more exciting when it's uh, when the team is winning. You you just get so into it. You're watching every moment. You're getting so excited. I mean, even uh, when they were losing on a Thursday night, the comeback and then just and seeing that triple play in action in person. There's nothing like it. You just have the most amazing feeling. You're you're just as much as a fan as everybody else. Well, Stan and I have come to the conclusion that you did three games this week. And we saw the winning streak go from two games to five games at that point. Then Wagner comes back last night and they lose, or two nights ago, and they lose two straight. So we're going to try to get this to where you show up at the ballpark now. <laughs> <laughs> hey, do you have I, anything? I'll come anytime they need me up there. I, I love to be there. It's, it's an incredible opportunity. Everybody I work with there is a, a great crew. We have a good time, and oh, anytime they want me up there, and winning games is all the better. <laughs> That's the politically correct answer. Right. There you go. Now, as I understand it, Adrian, you did apply for the job when Ryan won the job about four or five years ago. You were in the running for that position, so this is clearly something you've wanted to do for a long time, and you are actually doing it. I'm wondering whether, and I don't like to always go down the, the gender role situation, but have you met many obstacles in trying to, to do this because you are a woman? I haven't. I think I get asked that question a lot because yep. I am a woman, but I have been very fortunate. Um, I, I started in Tennessee where it's definitely very old school and very traditional. And I got very lucky opportunity, Knoxville Smokies, double A for Toronto Blue Jays. I started there as an usher and the, the gentleman at the time, he worked for a, uh, a news channel and had to go do a big story. I filled in that day. The next year he got promoted and then I was there full time. And I've just, I think it's really being at the right place at the right time and paying your dues and at least getting your foot in the door. Um, I mean, I'm sure, you know, there are some people that want to always hear a male voice, but you'll never, no matter what industry, you'll never make everyone happy. I just, I love what I do so much. And I, I don't think of it that way. Well, and at the major league level, uh, you've made a little bit of a mark for yourself at Camden Yards, but out in San Francisco, uh, I don't know about this year, but the, there has been a full-time woman uh, PA announcer. There was one for a few years up at Fenway Park. I don't know whether that's because I'm not traveling as much as I used to because of the Nationals being in town. I'm either in D.C. or in Baltimore, uh, but this is not an unprecedented thing in Major League Baseball. No, and, and the girl in Giants still does it, and I think she has a great voice. Um, but there is very few of us out there, and if a major league team wanted me, I'd go in a heartbeat because this is, this is my dream, and this is what I do and love doing, and I've done it for 20 years now. And it's just not the, it's just not the announcing. You have to have the real you, – you, you got to have be a passion just, for the game. you got to have a passion for the game and a real love of baseball, and it's, in that regard, it's just a lot like – what we do as reporters, because I think one of the reasons we got into what we do is because of our love of sports, yep. things of that nature. So, yeah, you have to have that passion for what you're doing, and but more importantly, a passion for the game that you are uh, announcing for. Exactly. We're talking with Adrian Roberson, PA announcer for the Bowie Bay Sox, and she just filled in very ably for Ryan Wagner for a couple games. Um, Adrian, I'm just curious. I know what uh, from the days when Rex Barney was the PA announcer at Memorial Stadium Camden Yards, 
Uh, I'm sure the pay has gone up a little bit at the major league level, and I'm imagining it's even less at the minor league level. Do you have a full-time, quote-unquote, job that carries, uh, that carries you through the day? I'm currently in the pursuit of that, um, but I, have, I work for uh, Georgetown University, and I have uh, backed up for their football, but I do do their uh, men's soccer. Oh, okay, so you do more PA. Football. Okay, I did not know yeah. that. Annapolis Bayhawks. I do their uh, lacrosse games. Uh, so I fill in a lot of different places for that. And then um, for um, Sirius XM, I do sports board opting. Adrian, did you how, what was your relationship like, or did you have one at all with uh, Dave McGowan? Um, I only got to meet him a few times. He is a great guy. Um, we still uh, talk once in a while. Uh, through Facebook and other messaging, mm-hmm. he um, worked in a. He lived in Bowie actually, and he used to work for the 911 uh, call center. So he would come over to Bowie Bay Sox games, and I got to meet him actually after I did the uh, audition process with the Orioles, and we became friends. And I think he's a great guy. Uh, he did an excellent job. Yes, he did. Um, and I I really enjoyed speaking with him, and he was he was always great when he'd come into Bay Sox. He'd stop in to the press box and talk to me for a little bit, give me advice, and a really great voice. Uh, what's the weirdest thing that's happened to you behind the microphone during a game, Ma- minor league or major league? I would have to assume, though, it's probably minor league. Actually, I would say there's two scenarios in the minor league. One, uh, you know, every once in a while you almost get hit by a ball, and we had one come through in about a four-inch space and hit the back of the soundboard and sent a button flying about 30 miles across the board behind me. <laughs> and the button actually, the ball just hit in between all our stuff. And then um, we had a gentleman come into the press box uh, one year, and he was very upset that we didn't finish the song Hey Jude. So he was actually coming for the music guy to take him out. But wow. he got into the wrong row. And he took out one of the camera guys and kind of started throwing stuff everywhere. And it was probably one of the craziest moments. And I'm very glad he went to the wrong row. Um, All right. Now, they were able to handle it. Now, here's, here's the next question then. If we go to the major league level, can we, and we can put somebody up to it, yeah. just walk upstairs and take Woody out. <laughs> That would probably be the funniest moment. <laughs> <laughs> Poor Woody. <laughs> I always get, no matter what the yeah, issue is. I bet a lot of the guys in the production crew would think that was hilarious. <laughs> yes, they would. Uh, <laughs> I, You know, it's when I was traveling with the Orioles, you'd go to Yankee Stadium, and the seventh inning stretch song, like, Thank God I'm a country boy. Right. Was always Cotton Eye Joe. Right. Okay. Got everybody up and hollering, and you know they they'd run a, a video on the board out in center field of an actual Cotton Eye Joe throwing punches and that kind of thing. Uh, you know, and and from that standpoint, I would have to think that you know when when they play Thank God I'm a Country Boy, you, you wind up getting certain ballparks with certain traditions, if you will. And that's all kind of part of the fun, I think, of what's going on around you at the ballpark. Absolutely. I mean, and it's just, it's neat watching it and the different entertaining venues that we have. So, uh, I'm thinking that maybe, you know, you keep this relationship going with the Orioles, uh, I know that Ryan's got a, a, a new venture that he's uh, doing that may become a little bit or require a little bit more of his attention. 
Uh, is this something that you might get a chance to do a little more, more here late, uh, coming up in the future? If they ask me, I'll be there in a heartbeat. Um, I don't know what the future brings, but when they ask me, I'll be there. When, when we have somebody like you on that's aspiring to do something on a full-time and at a bigger level, uh, the, you, we, we end up talking about them uh, and their aspirations. If you, if you were talking to somebody younger than yourself that was just starting out, is this something you think is worth is the is the you know the squeeze is the juice worth the squeeze? In other words, do, do you think it's something worthwhile doing? And can I guess what you're going to say? I'm going to guess that she's going to say, just knowing a little bit about Adrian, that I do. Yeah, she's going to say, if there's anybody out there that wants to do this for a living, right? Follow that dream. Not to quote Elvis Presley or anything, but follow <laughs> that dream and and go after it because it's the greatest thing going if you Adrian is that how you're going to answer that question? Yes, that, that's how I would answer it. There you go. Exactly. Wow. wow. Well, we'll, we'll I wouldn't I wouldn't change anything I've done. I would just say, you know, whatever you can do to get in the door, you know, do the internships. I know I think like when I was in college, you had to do internships yep. and you, you took several on. And nowadays it doesn't see, I mean they still do some, but it doesn't seem as concentrated. But you've, you've got to do it. You've got to pay your dues. I remember in college, I gave up every Friday for a semester working on a sports station with doing the high school football because in Tennessee, football is everything. And you, you do have to give up some stuff, but if this is what you want and truly love, it, it doesn't feel like giving it up because you're doing what you love doing every day. I got one last question for you. As Craig knows and Bonza, my producer here, who is aspiring to do some of what you do, and even beyond that, he'd like to do play-by-play. Um, what They know I'm challenged with pronunciations of names. What is the toughest name that you've ever had to uh, announce? Oh, there, there really has been um, several. Um, do you, do you do your homework? In other words, do you go down, if you see something, do you make sure you talk to somebody with that team to know how to pronounce it correctly? I'm sure you do. Oh, absolutely. About three days before a game, whichever team is traveling in, I actually go and look in the rosters online. Uh-huh. And then some of the rosters, which is nice um, when you go online on the apps, they'll actually have some of the pronunciations right underneath their stats. I also go on YouTube and watch former uh, broadcasters, former uh, games, highlights. And then I take notes because not necessarily sometimes, as you know, uh, when Montanez, uh, Mont- Montanez uh, a couple years ago played, five different pe- people, even if you asked him personally, he's like, I don't care how you say it. People were saying his name differently. Yeah. So I try to sometimes go directly to the source. I, uh, when the team comes in town, I go to the radio guy who rides the bus with them uh-huh. in the minor league system That's great. and yeah. run down the list from top to bottom, even if the name seems simple, mm-hmm. because sometimes it's got a crazy pronunciation. That's great. Um, I am thinking about his A. Ulohikio. De La Cruz, he was with the Tigers uh, minor league. He was probably one of the hardest. And uh, NBRX Concepcion uh, with the B-Mets. There you go. How about the Tampa Bay Rays new shortstop that they acquired from Miami? I know you haven't had to do him, but maybe you have in the minor leagues. How do you pronounce his name? Hechevaria. Adani Hechevaria. Hechevaria. That's that's how I would, uh, Rhea, that's how I would say it, but it didn't look anything like that when you read it. Yeah, right. Yeah. It looks, I like, think Hetch. A, it looks well, like Hetch. It looks like Hetch of Here's a good story for you. When Mike Messina got tra- uh, left the Orioles and went to the Yankees, right. 
the, the, the legendary Bob Shepard, PA announcer up at Yankee Stadium, goes to Moose before a game early on in the season and says, is it Musina or Musina? <laughs> and, Mike, and Mike says, I don't care, whatever you want to call it. <laughs> and, and, and Bob looked at him and said, well, I do. <laughs> that is a great story. That is a great story. All yeah, right. so some of them don't. They're like, just, I just say it. And I'm like, you'll have a parent sometimes come up to you. Do you know you're saying that wrong? I was like, I talked to him personally. But they, they really sometimes, they're not worried about it. But we want to do our job right and professionally. So we want to get the right answer. Well, we also want to we also want to warn you about Stan's producer Bonza, because Bonza is he's going to he's going to try and pick you off. He's coming after you, you know, much like we'd send somebody up to pick Woody off or something like that. Right. Bonza's looking out to try to get your job. Hey, oh, no. hey, don't don't listen to them, okay? It doesn't work like that. What do you think of that voice, Adrian? That was Bonza. That's a good voice, but I'm not worried. No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> good one. You got me there. Good one. Adrian, thanks for joining us. Adrian Roberson, PA voice of the Bowie Bay Sox and sometimes the Baltimore Orioles and Georgetown Athletics and the uh, Chesapeake Bayhawks as well. Thanks very much for coming on. Thank with you us. for having me. All right. Yes. Outstanding. Yeah, she, and she was she great. A, she has a great job, too. Yeah. And, got a great uh, voice. Great voice, and again, it's you know one of those things. And and, and Ryan Wagner has a lot of uh, the same type of qualities in terms of the voice and everything. But Ryan also has an acting background as right. well, you know. And and those are all kind of things that play into it. Yeah, no question about it. And it'll be interesting to see how it evolves here with her, yeah. with the Orioles and Ryan's situation. Um, we are going to be joined in just a moment by Marty Conway. And Marty is uh, one of the guys I refer to, and you know I use this phrase, Craig, uh, the smartest guy in the room. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, Davey Johnson used to use that all the time. Andy Dolich is one of the smartest people I've ever met in sports. Larry Lucchino is one of them. And Marty Conway was hired by Larry Lucchino with the Baltimore Orioles many, many moons ago in the late 80s. He was marketing director for the Baltimore Orioles at a very young age. Then left. He was actually hired by George Bush, mm-hmm. W., uh, when George Bush was the president of the Texas, Texas Rangers. Rangers yeah. He hired Marty away from Larry, and it was just as Camden Yards was opening. So it's 92, and he goes out to Texas, and he's there until uh, W. runs for governor of Texas, and then Marty said, hey, this was the guy that hired me. I like to work for the guy that hired me. So he went to work for AOL uh, for a long time. I think he worked for AOL for 18, 19 years. He's now a professor uh, or teaches classes at Georgetown University in sports media, and uh, he will join us. He was the marketing director of the Texas Rangers on August 4th, 1994, when Robin Ventura made the unwise decision of veering off from going to first base on a hit-by-pitch and veered over to attack uh, Nolan Ryan. And Nolan, you you watch how calmly, if you watch the video, Ryan just sort of backpedaled a step and sized up what was happening and grabbed his head and pounded his head about 10 or 12 times. Yeah, uh, human punching bag, uh, Robin Ventura. Uh, became just that. You know, what's interesting, though, the announcer, the, when you play the, the video that I saw yesterday, 
makes mention. He goes, now, now Nolan Ryan grabbed the guy, you know, around the neck, and he was pounding him, but he was hitting him on the head, mm-hmm. not the face. Right. He said, I'll bet his hand is hurting. Yeah, probably, yeah. Because, right. Well, you have to feel like Robin had a pretty hard head for even right. making the decision to run out to the mound. That's true. All right, joining us now is old friend Marty Conway. And, Marty, I gave the buildup that you were um, hired away from the Baltimore Orioles and Larry Lucchino by George W. Bush, who was what, then the president of the Texas Rangers, correct? Yeah, right. He was the president, managing general partner, and uh, principal face of the organization, yeah. And you got hired away just as Camden Yards was opening in 92. You went to Arlington, Texas. How many years did you work for a W out there? Uh, well, I worked for him for four years. I was with the Rangers for five. He had actually left at one point to uh, run for governor. So he was still involved in the ownership, but he wasn't uh, involved much, obviously, in that last year while he was seeking office. Yeah. What was he like to work for? As smart as Larry Lucchino? Oh, way in a way different way. Yeah. Um, they ha- they had a lot of similarities, um, but George, I-, I still say George W. Bush was the best retail owner. You know, they use that word retail politician uh-huh. in uh, you know in politics, where if you're good at the rope line and all that, and that's what George was on the aisle. People coming up to him asking for an autograph, a picture, all of that. Um, it didn't seem to matter how good or poorly the team was doing. George was popular. And that helped in a lot of ways. That helped get a stadium. That helped bring in players, uh, all, all sorts of things. He truly was a fan and, and almost a fanatic and uh, just a terrific owner and I think would have been a great baseball commissioner had yeah. politics not um, gone his way. And, you know, the funny part about that, you said he's very instrumental in getting that stadium built. Here we are about 24 years later and they're getting another stadium in Arlington yeah. for the Rangers, and I think it opens in 2020. Yeah, hey, there's no – one of the things about it was that stadium was so successful, frankly, that they paid off the debt early, uh, and the city of Arlington used the success of that to continue the tax that they had, which paid for Jerry Jones' part, the, the city's part of Jerry Jones' stadium, which, again, they paid off early. And the reason why they're able to do a new stadium is they're able to just keep that tax in place and just finance a new facility. So it is remarkable because if you've seen the facility lately, it is in incredible shape. And, and you know, they're going to build this new one right next to, right. to, to Jerry's world. Uh, so that's going to be very interesting, too. It's going to be side by side. What's going to happen to this stadium, the, the one the Rangers are currently in? Well, that's that's the question because, I mean, maybe they should move it to Oakland. I don't know if they go move it to Oakland or yeah, somewhere like idea. that because – it is. It's in remarkable shape, and yeah. I don't know. The only real reason that they're building a new one, well, there's two reasons. Number one, they want to put a retractable roof on the on the new one to sort of make up for the heat. I mean, we did, we did that calculation 25 years ago when we were there and figured it wasn't worth it. Right. Uh, but the other part is they want some real estate and retail around it. The new owners, you know, would like to have a bigger a, a bigger wallet, so... That's a big part of it, too. You mentioned to me, and we had you on to talk about the uh, Robin Ventura-Nolan Ryan fight 24 years ago, but you wrote yeah. me uh, that you had visited the new Atlanta ballpark, and you said it was like kind of like Utah Street on steroids, <laughs> if, I, yeah. if I got the line yeah. correctly. How much is the retail end of this now that ball clubs are getting into? 
How important a revenue stream does that become? Well, it's significant. Um, depending upon whether the ownership groups have equity in the real estate and the land or they take a piece of the transactions that go around it or both, uh, you know, sometimes it's both. And I think, again, if you go way back to the original patient, which was Camden Yards, and what it did for the surrounding area, the next generation of owners have looked at those properties and said, hey, this is fantastic, but I also, I'm going to need 10 or 12 or 15 of my own acres around here in order to, to do that. St. Louis is one of those that did Cardinal Village a few years ago, and that has sort of cascaded now to places like Atlanta, where it's called the Battery, and there's everything from office buildings to uh, restaurants and retail and all sorts of things. And again, it's like if you just took Utah Street in front of the warehouse and went up three or four or five blocks, that's pretty much what they've done in Atlanta and recreated a downtown in an area that's just outside, frankly, just outside their, their beltway. And what they've done in Washington next to Nats Park, right? all of the development uh, in the city with uh, office buildings and, and retail and food places and the learners who own the, the Nationals, obviously made their money construction and things of that nature. A lot of those buildings have their name on it. Uh, there's a few more hotels down there. And on the other side of the street, down toward the waterfront in Fort McNair, they're building the new soccer stadium for D.C. United. That's already under construction. So it's not going to be very long. And, of course, the All-Star game there next year, it's not going to be very long before that entire area uh, coming off the South Capitol Street Bridge is going to be built up. Yeah, Craig, it's the new formula for ownership, which is not only to have a really good lease deal and terms and things like that, but to have access or ownership or participation in the, like I said, in that five to ten or more acres surrounding so that you can get the inflow and the outflow. And if you're looking at, you know, asset values going up in the future, that's what they want. And that's why it's so frustrating in the places that can't get it. Yep. Because uh, right now it's more than a stadium. It needs to be. Ryan, you know, Ryan Zimmerman has a restaurant right across the street he? from the stadium, yeah. We had Andy Dolich on, and I know you know Andy, and we had him on yeah. about three, four weeks ago. And he was mm-hmm. talking about, you know, it's pretty clear that Oakland will get a new stadium, but he thinks that the uh, the the notion that they're going to put it in a couple of the new places they're talking about, that they, they, they're so unrealistic because of the infrastructure costs that he thinks mm-hmm. that ultimately – they're going to look at that, and even though those ideas are sexier, that they're going to end up being in the same location. Yeah, I mean, the, the empty parking lots are always too sometimes too enticing to not, because it's paid for, or you have some yep. of these access and issues. So it's not uncommon now for that opposite parking lot, if you will, to be kind of where 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 a new facility ends up going, either in baseball, football, or whatever. It's interesting, though. You know, it's funny. I kept asking him, what, I said, what is the other areas that they're talking about in Oakland? They're just sexier. And what I'm hearing now for the first time, really, it's going through my head, is the sexier is owning the other stuff. Whereas yeah. in Oakland, if they stay on the same footprint, there's not room for all that buildup of the other economic uh, revenue streams. Right, they would have to do an Atlanta formula, which is to basically build it there. So yep. you can imagine parking your car and walking through a couple of blocks of preform, you know, facilities that go up, and then as you as you enter the ballpark. So yep. uh, you know, how in Baltimore, they're very good about closing off streets in Camden Street and some of the other areas. 
that's essentially what it would be doing is taking a few blocks and, and making it into a baseball village like they've done in St. Louis. Hey, one more question before we talk for a few minutes about the, the famous fight that took place yeah. 24 years ago. I uh, just read about a week ago, as we, you and I know Larry Lucchino pretty well, and Charles Steinberg mm-hmm. is president of the Pawtucket Red Sox, but it looked like they had a deal in place to go somewhere else, uh, maybe in Rhode Island. That fell through. Then it looked like they were going to redo the, the current ballpark uh, in Pawtucket. But I saw that Janet Marie Smith has been brought in. And it, 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 does it look like Pawtucket's going to go new ballpark now? Yeah, it does. So what you were talking about was McCoy Stadium, because I, I used yep. to work for AAA team in Syracuse. And we used to travel to McCoy Stadium. That's how long ago it was. And, uh, and, but they, what they really, I think, thought initially where they might be is in, back into Providence. Uh, Pawtucket's outside of Providence. And, and there were a couple sites in, in downtown Providence. It doesn't look like that's going to happen again. The sites were very sexy, but maybe not that practical. And so it looks like now the new ballpark will be, again, in the vicinity of the old one somewhere. And it will be... You know, but yeah, McCoy Stadium there had to be 75 years old, had to be, because it was old when I was there. And uh, so now, instead of getting the downtown one near a river, or bridges, or places like that, you think of Providence a little bit like Pittsburgh. It has some of the same attributes. Uh, it would have been nice to be there. There's much more commerce, but it looks like they that that's not going to happen. All right, now. Let's get back. Mm-hmm. You you sent me a video yesterday, which led to me inviting you on because I don't know any of the other participants well enough to yeah. get them on. But you were marketing director for the Texas yeah. Rangers August 4th, 1994, which is 24 years ago. Uh, where were you when this fight broke out? And maybe you can describe what you were doing and what, you know, maybe you were back yeah, in your sure. office watching it on television for all I know. Yeah, no, 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 because we had a little different setup there. We, we were uh, going into a new ballpark the next year, so um, we didn't have office space at our at the old Arlington Stadium. And I'll just back up for a second and tell you that in early February of that year, it was 1993, I was in John Blake's office, and you know John, a sure. former VP here at the Orioles Communications. Yep. I happened to be there and in knocked on the door and in walked Nolan Ryan, and just as this, he just said, John, I just want to let you know, I think this is going to be my last year. And that's how Nolan announced to the people that he was going to retire. Now, at this point, Nolan was 46 years old, so he'd been in the majors. This was his 27th year. Wow. So he was on his last, in the last ride. But we were at the ballpark that night, hot in August like crazy. You know, I was just walking around doing whatever I'm doing fairly early, like I think it was around the third inning. And I could then hear the crowd start to erase. And as I walk through the the walkway where I could then see the field, I was at one of the concession stands, I see Robin Ventura tear-assing out, if you will, towards Nolan Ryan. And from there, it was just like a WWE event. I mean, the crowd went crazy. The benches emptied. I would encourage people to Google it because yeah. if you take a look at it, it is kind of a famous five or six minutes because a couple of important things. There were four Hall of Famers involved in that fight. In addition to Nolan Ryan, I was looking at this myself, was Frank Thomas, and then two people that went into the Hall of Fame this year, Pudge Rodriguez and Tim Raines, were also on the field at that time. Wow. And you pointed out, Stan, that you saw John Russell, who's the current bench coach of the Orioles, involved in that. 
And there were a whole bunch of other people. Bo, ja Bo, Bo Jackson was in it. Uh, Bo Jackson, Jack Raphael McDowell, Palmero, Raphael Palmero. Jack McDowell. Yep. Ozzy Guillen was on the field. Jose Canseco. I mean, it was. I mean, it was. The, the, the White Sox at the time were leading in the American League West, so they had a really good team. Gene Lamont was the manager, um, and it was just that simple. Um, Ventura had gotten a single in the first inning off Nolan, and. The, the, the teams had had some bad blood for a couple of years, going back to some spring training issues that they had, and so you know Nolan just he didn't take anything from anybody, and he drills Ventura, and Ventura makes the unwise decision to head out to the mound, where Nolan, who was a cattle rancher in the off season, essentially grabbed him around the neck like he would one of the cattle on his ranch. Right. And once he was able to get a couple of shots to the top of his head, he nailed him on the on the face, and. Uh, the best part about it was, you know, Nolan got to stay in the game. He actually went right. on to get the win. He pitched seven <laughs> innings, got the win. In those days, you know, that person didn't get thrown out. Um, Ventura got thrown out. And the funny part of that was also was once everything settled down and they had a pinch runner on first base, Nolan picked him off. And so <laughs> the rest of the night was like a circus there. I mean, you just couldn't imagine. And what we did was uh, – we didn't sell that game out because it wasn't that big of a game at the moment. But what we did was we went back in the office and printed up all the remaining tickets to the game so that if you wanted to buy one and have it as a souvenir, you actually could. So we had about five or 8,000 tickets that weren't being used that we just went ahead and printed and then offered them as souvenirs after. So some people have a souvenir to the game, which I guess maybe they didn't actually go to. It's amazing when you think about Nolan Ryan and the seven no-hitters in his career one of them in that, the last one, I think, at that ballpark where he strikes yeah. out Robbie Alomar uh, yeah. to end it. Uh, yeah. You know, just the, the the whole idea that as you're getting, the, you know, up into your mid-40s and then, you know, like you said, he played, uh, you know, that kind of a career, to be able to have that much stuff going on for you when you're that age and pitching that well. Well, he, yeah, he 27 years. Uh, Craig, he pitched two seasons where he pitched over 300 innings, right? That is that is phenomenal yeah. as well. And he was 46 years old when he retired. And I'll give you one more thing about it, and that is he actually didn't get to pitch his last game because he tore a ligament in his elbow in September, and he had to skip his last couple of starts. But in that game where he tore his ligament, he didn't know it right away. And shortly after he tore the ligament, he threw a fastball 92 miles an hour. Now, this was with a torn ligament in his elbow. Um and so he, he just was an incredible workhorse. I really have never – there was only two people in the game in all the years that I was in it that I thought were comparable, and that was – I thought Nolan Ryan and Cal Ripken were comparable personalities. Um, I thought they shared a lot of things in common about their upbringing and how they approached the game, and, and both of them went on to be business folks in the game of baseball after they, after they retired. All right. We really appreciate your coming on and reminiscing a little bit about this, and I appreciate your sending it to me because it really is an interesting slice of baseball life, and it happened, uh, it's remarkable, it was 24 years ago yesterday. Uh, thanks, Marty, as always. Okay, guys, enjoy the show. Have a good day. All right. There you have it, Marty Conway. Um, we're going to pay a few bills right now, Mr. Heist. And one of those, again, is Goodwill Vehicle Donation. Many people know about Goodwill through donating clothes and furniture. Did you know that Goodwill also accepts vehicle donations? 
Goodwill accepts vehicles in running or non-running condition. When you donate a vehicle, you can steer clear of all the headaches associated with trying to sell a car yourself. It's fast, simple, and reliable, and you also receive a tax deduction. When you donate to Goodwill, know that your donation is being used to help someone find a job. Last year, we provided job training services to people in need of assistance because of physical, mental, other social barriers, and placed over 3,000 people into jobs. To donate your vehicle to Goodwill, visit givetogoodwill.org or call 866-492-2770. Charm City's newest football team, the Baltimore Brigade, are taking arena football to the next level at Royal Farms Arena. This is the first ever season, and you're going to want to be there for it all. Catch a great game with your family sitting close to the field, or get your night started with friends in the Bunker Party Zone. Baltimore Brigade football is high-speed, action-packed, non-stop excitement everyone can enjoy. Get your tickets now at BaltimoreBrigade.com or by calling 667-930-0200. Baltimore Brigade football presented by MedStar Health, brick by brick. It's summer, which means you're driving somewhere. It might be Ocean City, maybe Wildwood or the Outer Banks, wherever it is. You're driving there, and you haven't driven that far in a while. So you need to go to Full Circle Tire and Auto first, 1304 Governor's Court, Unit 110 in Abingdon, because they're going to give you a free road trip check and a free battery check, plus the best prices on tires in town and $79.95 AC services all summer long. Don't wait until you're on the road to find out there was something wrong with your vehicle. Go to Full Circle Tire and Auto first. You can call 410-676-2277. That's 410-676-CARS or visit FullCircleTireandAuto.com to find out more. KZ here, Pressbox Fantasy and Reality Football Show with Sarita, the NFL chick. How are you? I'm great. How are you? I'm great. Every Sunday, 10 to noon, we talk about mostly football. We, We talk about the college game. We talk about the NFL game. We will throw in sports, local sports, some Orioles, some Terps. If there's an important story around the country, we'll throw that in. But our heart, our soul, of course, is football. Baltimore sports. Baltimore sports. In general. Do a little bit DC. We got to give them some love sometimes. Uh, I guess. Sundays, <laughs> Sundays, 10 to noon, Pressbox Fantasy Reality Football Show. A new summer menu with two great new items at Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square. First up, the Smokehouse Barbecue Bacon Sandwich. It's Chick-fil-A's signature grilled chicken and new bacon glazed in a brown sugar pepper blend. Served in a Hawaiian-style bun with Colby Jack cheese, green leaf lettuce, and a zesty Smokehouse Barbecue sauce that's crafted specifically for the sandwich. They also have the watermelon mint lemonade. You can get it as a regular or a diet lemonade. It's got all-natural watermelon and mint flavors, and it's complimentary to the Smokehouse Barbecue Sandwich. Get the Chick-fil-A Nottingham Square, 5198 Campbell Boulevard in the Nottingham Square Shopping Center. Tell Steve Pavlowski we said hello, and get there before August 19th, because these items are available for a limited time only. Hey, it's Nick Ashew. It's Tim Murray. And we're back now with Pressbox Online every Tuesday. Game time with Tim and Nick. So, similar name. Very similar name. A lot of the same content. Oh, we'll change that content up, you know. We'll stay with the times, obviously. But we're still going to yell at each other. Oh, I'll push your buttons whenever we want. You always do. We're like an old married couple. Every Tuesday, subscribe to us on iTunes. We're on SoundCloud, Pressbox Online, Game Time with Tim and Nick. Find Game Time under the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com or on iTunes and SoundCloud. 
many people know about Goodwill through donating clothes and furniture. Did you know that Goodwill also accepts vehicle donations? Goodwill accepts vehicles in running or non-running condition. When you donate a vehicle, you can steer clear of all of the headaches associated with trying to sell a car yourself. It's fast, simple, and reliable, and you also receive a tax deduction. When you donate to Goodwill, know that your donation is being used to help someone find a job. Last year, we provided job training services to people in need of assistance because of physical, mental, or other social barriers and placed over 3,000 into jobs. To donate your vehicle to Goodwill, visit givethegoodwill.org or call 866-492-2770. That's givethegoodwill.org, 866-492-2770. And welcome back into the Bat Around. I'm Craig Heist along with Stan the Fan. And if you like great food and baseball, you have to visit Big Bats Cafe located across the Bay Bridge in Ken Island. Take the first exit to Route 216 St. Clair Place. Big Bats, the winner of the Golden Anchor Award for best and voted best burgers and wings. It's like visiting Cooperstown, but with food. Check them out at BigBats.com. And joining us on the phone right now as the bat around continues, our good buddy from MLB.com, and uh, his name is Bill Latson, former beat writer for the Washington Nationals. Bill, good morning. How are you? Hi, how's everything? Uh, thanks for having me. Good, and the reason we wanted to have you on was because last weekend you, you uh, spent some memorable days up at Cooperstown for the induction of uh, some pretty special people into the Baseball Hall of Fame. Uh, Tim Raines goes in and uh, Pudge Rodriguez. Rodriguez, who we had a chance to cover a little bit in Washington when he was with the Nationals. Bud Selig, the commissioner. John Shureholtz. John Shureholtz. Um, and one of my favorite people, Bill, Claire Smith yeah. goes in. And I just wanted to ask you a little bit about how how special that may have been for you. Yeah, it was definitely uh, special. You know, um, as you know, she's African-American and uh, – she really uh, went a long way. I mean, my claim, uh, you know, when I think of Claire Smith, I think of her as Don Baylor's uh, biographer, and she did a great job on that book. Um, that book was outstanding. I still have that book, and uh, you know, it wasn't a butt kissing book at all. I mean, it was straight to the point, and uh, you know, that's I will always remember Claire Smith for that. One of the things about Claire. In in the years uh, back when I was covering the game and traveling uh, here and there, you'd run into Claire different ballparks. But the one thing, you talk to managers, you talk to players, and there was always that bond of trust between everybody she interviewed. And and I think think that's one of the the great qualities you could have. No question, Craig. And, uh, you know, and also she's a great person, too, and – I can understand why, you know, managers, general managers and players really enjoyed talking to her. I mean, she was she was legit and uh, you know, she wrote what was said. So that's a good thing. Well you you had uh podcast up uh with several of the inductees uh during the course of the last week. Uh what was some of your favorite moments from those podcasts uh, uh that you could share with us, uh, some of the interviews that you did? Well, one was Andre Dawson. Uh, I spoke to him. That was Tim Reese's closest friend, his best friend, in fact. He calls him a father figure. And, uh, you know, it, it was funny how Andre Dawson made uh, Tim Raines a, a solid citizen. Because, as you know, Tim Raines had a drug problem. 
yeah. when he first came into the league. And, uh, and Andre Dawson was young himself. It wasn't like he was 30 or 35 years old when these two met. And uh, somehow Dawson was able to, uh, you know, get him to, uh, you know, steer right the right road. And uh, it was a great career after that. Talking with Bill Latson and Bill, uh, uh, I this year uh, this the speeches I just somehow have not watched any of them. How how was John Schurholtz and what did he touch on in his speech? Well, you know he touched a lot on Baltimore, and uh, yeah. this is a guy who went to Townsend, as you guys know, yep. and uh, he really treasures his roots in Baltimore, and you know it all started with the Orioles, as you know, and then he went to Kansas City. And he was basically uh, thanking, uh, you know, people from each city he worked for, Atlanta, Kansas City, and Baltimore. Um, Frank Cashin was the one who gave him a, a shot. Um, he was the uh, one of the executives with the Orioles back then. Um, so it was uh, great to hear him say that. It was a great speech. And uh, he thanked some of the players who helped him, you know, become that Hall of Famer, like George Brett. And... Uh, Chipper Jones, so it was great to hear. Got a, you know, all the years we've been friends, Bill, we always argue back and forth about, you know, you're not having a successful season unless you win a championship. And you and I joke and we kid and we argue. Let's let's not yeah. let's not sugarcoat it. We argue <laughs> over it. And right. and and yet with what Sherholtz did with those Braves teams, when you think of 14 straight division titles and all those years in the postseason consecutively with yeah. just one World Series championship in 1995. Nonetheless, that run of success is something we'll never see again in our lifetime or maybe ever. No, not, uh, you know, the consecutive years going to the postseason. No, I don't think we will. And he was able to do it by making the right trades, free agent signings, um, and, and also he had a great pitching staff, too. I mean, that was there almost the entire time with yeah. Smoltz and Glavin, so that helped, too. And, you know, we cannot forget what Sherholtz did in Kansas City. I mean, he won a championship there. And he went to the postseason several times. So um, it, it wasn't just uh, just Atlanta. He did a great job in Kansas City, too. We're talking with Bill Latson and uh, Bill uh... Uh, one of the things that uh, transpired since the last time we've had you on and since Cooperstown has been the trade deadline pass this past yeah. Monday, uh, who were some of the winners and who were some of the losers to you? Well, obviously the Dodgers. I mean, they picked up you, Darvish. I was at, I was at the game yesterday. Right. And, and uh, Darvish was uh, dominating. I, I couldn't believe it. And, uh, and I, I think the Dodgers have to be favored to win the World Series. You have to also say the Nationals did a great job, too, because uh, they, their bullpen has improved dramatically. But the question I have is, is it good enough to go far into the postseason? I still don't think they have a shutdown closer. We'll see what happens. But uh, I, they, they're going to win the division. There's no question about it. They're going to win it easily. This goes but, back. This goes back to my original point with you and me arguing about winning and not winning a, a championship. I really think there's more pressure nationally on the Dodgers to win it all this year 
And, I mean, if they don't, a lot of people are going to consider this season a failure despite the record, despite the lead. And to some degree, I think it's probably more pressure on them than it even is the Nationals to get out of the first round of the playoffs. Well, well, Craig, you know, it's not so much the first round with them. It's it's just going to the World Series this time yeah. because, you know, they came close. They went to the league uh, championship series, you know, like three times in the last four years, and they didn't make it to the World Series. I mean, remember, remember Don Mattingly was the manager in some of them. But this year, I think it's going to be a different story because their manager, Dave Roberts, it's just out of this world. And, you know, being in that locker room like I was yesterday, you can tell they want to play for this guy. They love him the way the Nationals love Dustin Baker. And I think um, I think they're going to. I think it's going to be different. This guy can manage. I mean, the way he outmatched Dustin Baker last year was a sight to see. And uh, so I think uh, seeing him uh, in the postseason postseason this time is going to be a different story. Well, I, I'm I'm a big fan of uh, the Dodgers. What they've done, I think they are really markedly ahead of everyone else. I expect them to get through this uh, and win their first World Series since 1988. I applaud uh, the job they did. I wanted to swing back. And, uh, go ahead, Craig. No, that's the reverse lock. So you, you're expecting the LA, LA Dodgers to win the World Series. Well, I mean, it's, and not, that means it's not as if I'm pulling this out of thin air. They're 40-plus they're games over 500. Right. We don't spend – I've been watching baseball since I'm five years old. How many times has that happened, Bill, in the last 50, 58 years or 59 years that teams 40-plus games over 500? They may end this season 50 games. It happened twice to the Orioles in 69 and 71 where they had records like that and didn't win a World Series. Yeah, well, the Seattle Mariners. Seattle Mariners are the last team to have that. You know what, though? The difference is this time, though, if you look, at, if you ever listen to Lou Pinella, especially him, yeah, as to why the Seattle Mariners didn't win, it was that they didn't have the shutdown closer. They, their their pitching staff wasn't all that great. But if you look at the Dodgers, I think there's a big difference here. I think they have a shutdown closer in Kelly Jansen, without a doubt. And also, um, I think they're starting pitching if Kershaw's healthy. And that's the big only- thing. That's the yeah, big thing. If he, if he's not healthy, they don't win. Mm, I think the, I think with you Darvish now there, they still have a chance to win even if Kershaw's not healthy. Go ahead. Yes, I, I yeah, I think that's a big difference. It, you know, I think uh, this guy's smart, Craig. What, what's he doing being friends with you? <laughs> yeah, well, you know. But Craig's helped me a lot. Re, re, remind, let, let's remind everyone that before that trade, Darvish gave up 10 runs in his last start before the trade to the Dodgers. But go ahead. Yeah, but, but he, he didn't give up 10 run. runs last night. He shut out yeah. the Mets over seven That's innings. right, and Kershaw's yeah. never given up 10 runs in a game. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I'm telling you, um, Darvish is going to be a difference here. Yeah. Um, and, I, and I also think uh, – Kershaw will be healthy. It's yep. not like the Dodgers need Kershaw now. It isn't a rush. Exactly. So if he, if he comes back in September, then everything should be okay. So uh, I think the Dodgers are doing the right thing. The Dodgers are going to continue to win, and uh, and that's about it. Just a matter of time. 
when they clinch a division. Well, that's just like saying that's just like saying the Nationals are going to continue to win. They're going to continue to win, but the 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 question is, can they win in the postseason? And that's the question with the Dodgers: can they get to the World Series? You don't know. Yeah. There's no. I, I, well, Craig, I agree with you, but I just think this time they have the pitching staff. After they picked up you, Darvish. I don't think there's one person who thought they're going to lose in the postseason, I, even without Kershaw. So I think I really believe that this time will be a different story for them. I'll be more than happy to stick the na- a healthy national staff up against them as far as starters are concerned. Uh, well, you do that, Craig. You do that, Craig. Okay? I will. You do that, okay? I'm talking to my friend Bill Latson now, okay? Do you mind? <laughs> who you wouldn't be friends with unless I introduce you. exactly right. <laughs> Hey, Bill, um, I'm listening to Jim Bowden and Jim Duquette yesterday, and they both mm-hmm. made an interesting point. The The team that probably had the worst um, deadline was the Houston Astros. Do you see yeah. Justin Verlander now that he's passed through waivers? Do you think there's any chance that the ownership there gives the okay to pick up Justin Verlander as a – as almost their version of you, Darvish, because they have an awful lot of question marks in that starting rotation right now. And uh, they're also injured, too. I I think it depends on ownership, because if they do pick up Darvish, the question is, are the Astros going to pick up the rest of that salad? Right. And so so unless, you know, they make a deal where, I guess, Detroit will, you know, uh, pay most of that salary, I can see it happening. I think it depends on the salary. I don't think it's a question of talent. I just think it's a question of uh, maybe how much money do they pick up. And so that mean, we'll see what happens. And that means that the Tigers would then in turn get the prospects that the Orioles should have gotten for Britain. <laughs> yeah, but, but you know you know what? But here's the thing, though. You know, I think that's also been the Astros' biggest problem. I don't think the Astros would love – I don't think the Astros like to give up their prospects because, as you see, it's the prospects who, who have helped them have this record. Yeah, yeah, but so, they still so, had to go out this offseason and get Brian McCann, Josh Reddick, uh, Yuri Gurriel, yeah. even though he's young to the major leagues, is more of a veteran. Um, right. They went out and got themselves four guys this offseason, Nori Aoki, uh, they picked up some veteran presence on that team. How come you can yes. say how come you can say Nori Aoki and you can't say Echeverria? That's because I, uh, I I'm just st- asking. I studied, I studied at the school of Craig Heist. <laughs> <laughs> but, but 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 I'll tell you though, the difference is though if you look at how much they're being paid those veterans, they're not being paid astronomically. I mean, it's not like the Astros are paying a ton of money for these guys. So I, I just think uh, with Verlander, though, there's a lot of money at stake. You know, is, is the, are the Astros willing to pay that money? So it's just a matter of we'll see. You know, the players have already expressed disappointment that the Astros did nothing. So maybe the, Ast- the Astros players saying something might have the Astros, you know, do something before September 1st. Well, as a guy who used to cover the Nationals on a regular basis – uh, in the last uh, three weeks, we've seen them upgrade that bullpen. And yesterday, in the win over the Cubs at Wrigley, the last two and two-thirds innings. Matson was terrific. The last two and two-thirds innings, uh, when Kinsler, 
uh, Matson, and then Doolittle. Doolittle gave up a hit, but closed out uh, the, the game with a double play. He's four for four in save opportunities. It looks as though, even though, like you said, there's not a dominant closer per se, looks like mm -hmm. they've solidified the back end of that pen. Correct, Craig. There's no question they did. And uh, I, I think, uh, you know, I, I think with the matter, I think with the Nationals, going to come down to health. Uh, I hope that everybody's healthy, Strasburg in particular. Um, you hope that, uh, you know, Tanner Rourke can remain consistent because he's been up and down. So we'll see uh, what happens there. I think it's a matter of health with that team. A lot with Gosman, Rourke has kind of figured it out since after the All-Star break. Yep. All right. It looks, uh, it looks, it looks like it. No all right. Bill, many thanks for being on with us again. Safe travels, and we'll talk to you over the next couple weeks. All right? You, you hey, got it. Hey, his, Bill, his, Bill, real quick, I'm going to do a stand the fan uh, kind of Robin Ventura uh, thing when the show ends. I'm just going to charge Stan, get him in a headlock. and. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. Just don't breathe okay. on me. Yeah, all right, just enough. don't breathe okay. on me. Hey, Bill, all right, again, all right. uh, the podcast at MLB.com, newsmakers for Bill Latson's really very fine work he's done all season long. Yeah. Thanks, Bill. Hey, thanks a lot. All right. Craig, we're uh, wrapping things up. Do we need another break? We do. We do. We need we another do. break. So I'm going to talk about Big Bats. All right. That's right. If you like great food and baseball, you have to visit Big Bats Cafe, located just over the Bay Bridge in Kent Island. Take the first exit to 216 St. Clair Place. Big Bats is the winner of the Golden Anchor Award and voted Best Burgers and Wings. It's like visiting Cooperstown, but with food. Check them out at BigBats.com. It's summer, which means you're driving somewhere. It might be Ocean City, maybe Wildwood or the Outer Banks, wherever it is. You're driving there, and you haven't driven that far in a while. So you need to go to Full Circle Tire and Auto first, 1304 Governor's Court, Unit 110 in Abingdon, because they're going to give you a free road trip check and a free battery check, plus the best prices on tires in town and $79.95 AC services all summer long. Don't wait until you're on the road to find out there was something wrong with your vehicle. Go to Full Circle Tire and Auto first. You can call 410-676-2277. That's 410-676-CARS or visit FullCircleTireAndAuto.com to find out more. Guys, can you believe that we've been in Section 336 for 25 years? Well, yeah, 25th anniversary of Canham Yards. Yeah, we've, we've been, been in Section 336. 336. Well, I mean, technically. Are we? Well, technically we're in 334. No, no, no. Section 336. We're in Section 336. Yeah, like our podcast, that's who we are. We're section 336. Every Monday night. It's Every Monday night, yeah. But, you know, when we go to the stadium, we tend to sit in 334. But the ticket's screwed up. We're just, we can touch section 336. I walk past, I say hi to Ryan in section 336. Yeah, and when we say hi to Ryan, we can talk Orioles because we always do here on the show, section 336. Yeah, so section 336. Section 336. That's where we are. Just lie to him. That's Press us. box. Find Section 336 at the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com or by going to iTunes or Section336.com. 
Hey, it's Glenn, and I might not know this, but we actually have a great wrestling podcast. Well, it's an okay wrestling podcast. No, 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 don't sell us short, Glenn. This podcast involves the main event, AJ Francis. That means it is the best wrestling podcast. Look, just just because you're bigger than us does not mean you're better than us. It does not mean you're the main event. The brains are the one that brings people to the table when it comes to podcasts, so it's me who brings people to Java now. Are you kidding me? Aaron Oster from the Baltimore Sun and Rolling Stone, you're the worst. Literally the worst. Like, no one has ever tuned in for your opinion. Got real, real, (laughs) real quick. It's Jobbing Out, Glenn Clark, Aaron. Aaron Oster and AJ Francis of the Washington Redskins. He Terp. Every week we're talking pro wrestling. You can find it by going to Jobbing Out on iTunes or SoundCloud or by clicking on the podcast tab at PressBoxOnline.com. Let the Aberdeen Ironbirds take all the stress out of planning your family's next night out. Introducing the Green Turtle Friends and Family Package. Get four Ironbirds tickets, four Green Turtle dinners, and four Ironbirds caps for just $49.96. That's a $208 value for $49.96. Purchase your Green Turtle friends and family package online today by visiting ironbirdsbaseball.com. Your summer starts now. The latest edition of Press Box is available now. On the cover, Steve Ginsburg profiles former Baltimore Sun reporter Ken Rosenthal, now one of baseball's most prominent voices for Fox Sports and MLB Network. Plus, Ravens beat writer Bo Smolka previews training camp, 10 questions with Orioles closer Zach Britton, and more. Press Box is available for free at over 500 area locations, including 60 Royal Farm stores. You can also find the entire edition, as well as the best daily coverage of the Orioles, Ravens, and Terps at PressBoxOnline.com. Back to the battle round. Oh, 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 man, oh, oh, you are Robin Ventura, buddy. We are back. There was, there was no there was of the fight from 24 uh, years ago. There was how, no how was it? There was no producer approval for this, I'm just saying. Right. Who needs by, producer approval? By the way, Craig Heist loves it when this shot is seen because he says it makes the show look better. Much, that's much the bobble That's the bobblehead tonight, Jonathan Scope bobblehead tonight in Baltimore to the first 25,000 fans 15 or older. I'd be very disappointed if I was 14 years old. Why? And I came out and couldn't get a bobblehead. Yeah, but you live in Baltimore. There are ways to get bobbleheads. Right. You... Anyway, uh, that does wrap up our show for the week. Our many thanks to Steve Garland from Big Bats, Rich Dubroff from PressBoxOnline.com, Adrian Roberson of the Bowie Bay Sox, the Baltimore Orioles, the Chesapeake Bayhawks, and Georgetown Athletics. I got the phone number right here. In the, no. That was the important <laughs> thing. Marty Conway, who teaches at Georgetown, formerly of AOL, the Baltimore Orioles, and the Texas Rangers, and, of course, Bill Latson from MLB.com. Yeah, this show went pretty quick today. It really did. Uh, we, got the- if you're just tuning in right now on the radio and you want to watch it, we apologize. Comcast was not a good signal today. A lot of pixelation in uh, our presentation, but you can watch all of the shows here, including Fantasy and Reality Football Show tomorrow, which Glenn Clark and I are going to be doing at 10 to 12, uh, and then um, uh, Monday through Friday, the Glenn Clark Show, uh, and our show, The Battle Round, every Saturday from 10 to 12. Don't forget, Orioles tonight, game three of their series with the Tigers at Camden Yards, Wade Miley on the hill. At Versus two- Drew Verhagen? Yes. Okay. Yep. Drew Verhagen. Drew Verhagen. And uh, coming up at 2.20 this afternoon at Wrigley Field, uh, Nationals look to make it two in a row. Who's over pitching the today Cubs. for the Nats? Uh, the Nationals will have Edwin Jackson on the hill. <laughs> 
Hey. Against who? Three three star uh Warner. John Lackey. John Lackey. And there's three starts by Edwin since he uh came up uh to the big club. Right. Two of them. He has gone seven innings and That's great. Yeah, and That's uh, great. the one got beat up a little bit but lasted five innings and was able to at least save the bullpen for that day. By the way, good solid pickup by the Nationals that's gotten lost because of all the pitching acquisitions. Howie Kendrick doing oh, a really great job. Well yeah, but Real everybody professional hitter. You, you, you got a two ninety eight lifetime hitter there and uh, he's always been very versatile infielder yep. first but one of the great things about him being with the Phillies was the fact he got the chance to play the outfield and you know the Nationals with Jason Worth down yep. and he is down in Florida right now rehabbing so we'll have to wait and see how long it is before he gets back last reports on Scherzer is that neck injury going to be anything put, he, that's no gonna... I don't think so he's uh, he, he had a bullpen yesterday uh, he got pushed back until the beginning of next week, either Monday or Tuesday, and I'm thinking it's probably Tuesday because they're probably going to want to keep Geo on turn. All right. Next Saturday, I believe we will be in our new studio in the new offices. Uh, it's been a while for logistical problems, but uh, we'll see you then. Uh, for Craig Heist, Bonds of Two, Stan the Fan, over and out on the batter round.